Thank you for tuning into the You Own the Experience podcast. In this week's episode, I sit down with Billy Davis, Director of Implementation and Customer Success at Herefish by Bullhorn. Bill and I worked together back at Herefish in 2019, so we love to nerd out about all things automation and marketing. This week's conversation revolves around where automation ROI lives, how to pivot and create a frictionless selling process, on the secret to closing deals, which data is only a part of. This episode is brought to you by our good friends over at CrimCheck. And in this week's Ask Lauren, Lauren and I discuss how change management needs to include at least monthly ongoing training for your team. Please remember to rate, review, and share the episode. Thanks, and enjoy the interview. What's up, Billy man? How you doing? Hey, Rob. How's it going? It is going well. It has been far too long since I've uh, seen a human that I interact with at conferences, but... uh, it's good to see you on the old interzooms. Likewise. So for you guys who don't know, uh, Billy is the Director of Implementation and Customer Success at Herefish by Bullhorn. And prior to that, he was the same role, but just for Herefish. So Billy and I worked together for all of 2019, and I would sell them and Billy would make them successful, which is really, really valuable and, and vital when you're selling a software product. So thank you, Billy. Yeah, well, thankfully, Rob, you didn't line up any crazy expectations. So you made my life easy and you're able to set that bar, which is nice. I tried to get people not to buy it, to be honest with you, because of this conversation we're about to have. But anyway, why don't you give a two-minute elevator pitch about your background, how you ended up at your current amazing position, and then we'll just roll from there. Yeah, for sure. So it, yeah, it's been a fun ride. I think the probably the most interesting aspect of it is I was a, a Herefish client before being a Herefish employee. So being on both sides of that fence, quite invaluable, especially leading and guiding other staffing firms through the journey. It's very, very helpful to be on, have experience on the other side, kind of know exactly what they're going through. So I've been using Herefish specifically for going on five and a half years. So that kind of experience is invaluable. And then with it, all the kind of the best practices that go along with making all the mistakes and learning from them and then guiding you know, hundreds of clients through the process. You know, the staffing automation journey has been a blast. I've been on that train for almost seven years, which is unbelievable. It's cool to see how far it's come. I remember looking at people and they looked at me very strangely when I kind of talked about my ideas originally around some of the if-then statements and what if this could happen and we could do that. And now it's real. So it's great to help people along that journey. Obviously, there's a long way to go for the whole industry, but it's great to be a part of it. Awesome. And I think one of the things we wanted to highlight, and we didn't really put this in the agenda, kind of like list of things we're going to hit, but it was like, you're starting to see people with automation in their title. Yeah, I think super cool consequence. Like there are people getting hired literally to help staffing firms automate, manage their tech stack. It's something that I thought would come to fruition and to see it actually playing out is pretty incredible. But I think the most incredible part about it is seeing the difference it makes having somebody who doesn't have so many different roles and responsibilities, who's not ingrained too much into the recruitment day-to-day where they can't step outside and work on the business. Someone who can devote time, energy, gather all the SMEs in one place. Some of the impact of that is absolutely incredible. Yeah, I think immediately of Loyal Source creating Kate Rutherford's role, shout out to Kate and Loyal Source, of Director of Digital Transformation. So uh, really a big fan of that. Like all of technology falls under her domain. And she started as a marketer. So if you ever wonder the value of understanding data and people's attention, you should never undervalue those things and the people that understand them. For sure. Yeah. I mean, of course, a marketer's dream is a clean database, right? Segmentation that's easy to get through. 
I think the interesting part is you can come into that role from so many different avenues. You know, I've seen kind of IT focus companies stepping into that. So they have a really good understanding of kind of the system, the kind of the settings, how things are built, the infrastructure. And the marketing element is definitely one that we see commonly get into that realm. But it's great when you can bring all those things together. Really powerful. Yeah, and maybe this is a good transition too, right? Because you know, one of the things we really wanted to focus on is there's a ton of fear fish that's been sold. There's a ton of sense. I'm going to mention sense. Sorry, Bullhorn, but I'm going to mention that because they're, you're the rival and rivals are good. Our competitors are good. It's still not too late, right? So you want to talk about like the early, like the benefits of the early adopters of the people who jump on board quickly. But then there's also a benefit to being a laggard, but not being like the worst thing you can do is just be afraid and not take action, right? So what are you seeing about that? Yeah, let's unpack that a little bit. I think there's lots of interesting elements. First off, many of you might not know, but I actually started, well, my first foray into the staffing automation technology space was through Sense. So I was an early Sense customer back in the day. Before that, I was doing some of my own kind of automation and some of those types of things through the tools I had at the time. But yeah, the, the early adopter advantage, I think we're still in the early phase in many ways. But obviously, there are places and companies that have been automating now for a couple of years and, and successfully so. So I think a lot of it boils back to kind of what are your core business fundamentals? And I think you can still get a tremendous value jumping into the, to the pool now. Obviously, candidate and client experience is a huge aspect of that. And the better you can design and execute those journeys, the more value you're going to get out of an automation tool. But I think the time is quickly approaching where if you neglect this or ignore it and just hope it goes away, it's going to be extremely painful as the market starts to shift expectations on the candidate side of things start to shift. You could certainly be left behind and not really have any recourse to catch up. So yeah, it's, I think it's, it's something that it's snowballing in a positive ways. Certainly, you can jump on it at this point and take advantage of it. Yeah, and I, what I see happening, right, is the speed is getting faster. And so just like direct-to-consumer, like let's use this example of direct-to-consumer website stuff like the Shopify's of the world do. I load my shopping cart up and I don't check out. But maybe I put my email address in. So now I'm getting an abandoned cart email. That's happening automatically. No one has to email me to let me know that I did not finish buying whatever I was buying. Usually it's like biltong, which is South African beef jerky, which is like my <laughs> Ooh, quarantine snack I'm a beef jerky guy too. So yeah, you're speaking my language. Yeah. One day we'll get you to South Africa and you can have some biltong. It's delicious. Sorry to any vegans out there. But anyway, I think that I'm always like, what direct-to-consumer applies to staffing industry and how can we combine the two? And so I think that's a good place to kind of think about it because it's getting faster and you need to have these touch points that are going to drive through the process in a way that's okay. Like I know that's an automated email. Like it doesn't bother me. It's still human, right? I appreciate the store doing it because if I really did want to buy it, now I would. But if I didn't, it's, it's okay that I got the email because I know they're doing good business. So is that one of the things you're seeing as like a massive risk or like in that thread if you're not automating? I think so, yeah. And you're right that there are certainly so many communications that lend themselves really well to automation. I mean, think about it from a dentist perspective. You book a dentist appointment, then a week before they want you to confirm it, three days before they send you a reminder so you show up. Perhaps afterwards, you get a reminder to schedule a check-in, six-month checkup afterwards. Like Those are things that no one expects somebody to actually be typing the text message to you. To your point, getting the message is the value. And I think oftentimes, it can get a little bit confusing. And I think it's important to kind of tease out 
there are elements where you want that automation. It's transactional. It's, it's fantastic to be able to send that automated email. And then there's other things where you want extreme personal touch. And automation can help you with the personal touch by either reminding someone to do it, when and, and how to do it, or removing the barriers and the friction of the day-to-day admin data entry things so they can focus more on the building relationships, advising, consulting, those types of things, which every recruiter I've ever met gets really excited typically about that aspect of the job, does not get excited about entry, admin type tasks, those types of things. Yeah, I can tell you that. I, and you probably know this, but I was terrible at entering data into this year. <laughs> Admittedly so. But I did appreciate that I would get a, like we were using HubSpot and HubSpot would notify me that I failed to do something before the next step was something. Like if I moved a deal to the next stage and I didn't add a key field, I would get a very nice notification from HubSpot. Or that if I like, if it was like something that was gentle, like they didn't need to like, like I didn't need it immediately in the system, I would get an email notification that says, hey, Rob, you should go do that. And like, oh, well, thank you, HubSpot. I really appreciate you making me better at data entry because I hate it. <laughs> yeah. um, and I'm pretty lazy overall. Well, right? You're not lazy. You just don't like doing it, right? I mean, that's, that's kind of the point. You want to spend your time on your strengths, kind of amplify those. We should make a data version of that Netflix flow where like, does entering data bring you joy? Yeah. No, don't. Get automate it. it. It's gone. Right. Eliminate it, delegate send it. it to, send it to the automated tools. Does entering this field of information, is it necessary or can we get it somewhere else? And then most importantly, does it bring you joy? That's really? a good, hey, well, I'm one of the weird ones that some of that stuff does bring me joy from time to time. Although I will say, if I get too bogged down and too much admin, I, I notice it. Adding value is, I think, where it's at, where I've identified as something that really drives me from a passion standpoint. So yeah, the non-value add data entry side, I have sympathy with the uh, people that don't like that. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate you uh, having sympathy with the devil over here. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, yeah, so lots of good stuff. So guys, you hear it and people have been saying it like, you don't automate to get rid of human, you automate to amplify the human. And I think that's a huge win. But one of the things for the people who kind of have this little bit of, of like, like, maybe you just, you don't think you're ready. Maybe you don't think the business is, is, or the niche is right for it or the business is right for it. We had an interesting conversation about this. What would you say to someone who said, like, let's say we're going through a sales cycle and I'm the prospect, Billy. And by the way, if you are in SaaS sales and you don't have your customer success team helping you close deals when they're needed, like I would bring Billy on to like calm people <laughs> down that were afraid. So this is like the perfect conversation. for Yeah, Billy. we've had it before. Yeah, there's a few deals where I was like, Billy, I just need you to come make this person feel safe. Yeah, basically um, you need me to come in and say, yes, we can do that. And then yeah, how, yeah. Uh, but like, you know, if I said, hey, I don't think the business is ready for this. Like our data is not good. What, like picture any, any number of things that you've been told in the years since you started implementing this. Let's just say ideal world. I'm probably going to buy anyway, but I was just asking you to deal with my objections in a, in a very peaceful way. Like, what would you say to me? Yeah, well, I think it's never going to be perfect. Like you're never going to be perfectly ready for automation. And the other thing I think to understand and recognize is even if you're not totally ready for the outbound, you don't have your segmentation in place, and there's there's some things that you know you can do better, there's still a whole mess of things you can do from an automation perspective to make things better. So I think cleansing the data, data hygiene, cleaning things up is something that everyone can benefit from, no matter how dirty your data is, no matter how broken your process is. There are things data-wise that you can just fix. And fixing something without any manual effort or anything on board is an automatic win. 
So like, that's an example where everybody that I've in, encountered, any database I've ever seen could, could use some loving and some, some cleansing. I'll give you an example too. We were, I was just talking to someone that I work with. We're talking about automation strategy and just building a business around having like IT cloud apps, right? And this was the example. Imagine a staffing company that's now at a million records and they've grown over 25 years. But inside that 25 years, they didn't have automation and they kept thinking about different ways to use statuses. Let's just say one field, right? Because we, we've actually gone through this process, you and I, with the company. And so now you have legacy statuses from however many times the leaders of that company decided that they wanted to change the way that they used a candidate status. Let's just say it's the candidate status. And so now you have legacy data from 25 years across a million candidates with different status strategies, and you never fully fixed them. And now you have to go back, multiply that by how many fields you have on candidate contact company job order, blah, 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 records, like you got a lot of data to clean up. Yeah. And I personally know the pain of trying to clean that up one click at a time or through even 500 clicks, 500 mass edits at a time. And it is painful. It's like literally weeks on end to make progress on that. And literally that's something you can do in minutes with an automation and everything fixes. So it's like, I've seen the non-automated way and had to do it. And then I've also seen the automated way to do it. It is no contest, which I would recommend. Yeah, so like example number one, if you're afraid internal or just data cleaning automations are going to drive a ton of value, especially, I mean, it's going to drive best practices in a small growing organization. And it's going to help get to a healthier state of data in a, a larger organization. Well, and there's a whole category of things where you are taking something you already know and you're just completely filling out information that's missing in another tangentially related area. So to give a, an example people can latch onto, oftentimes candidates don't have that key information entered that you'd like to have, whether that be skills, categories, industry, pay rate, salary requirements, previous job title, all those kinds of things. But if that person is applying to one of your jobs online and is missing that data, you can copy the data from the job that they're applying to, make the inference that is probably pretty close to their preference, copy that to their candidate record. All of a sudden, you've cleaned all of that up without any input, without any communication, without anything that needs to be done by any human. And doing things like that continually, your data will automatically get better and so many ripple benefit effects will come down the line. Got it. So that was number one. What else can someone who doesn't think they're perfectly ready for, or where else can they take advantage of, of automation? Yeah, well, I think the interesting side effect of automation is it gets you thinking about your internal process. So I've, I've seen that so many times from the onboardings that I do is that a client gets really excited and then they kind of realize, boy, we need to clean up some of the stuff we've never really thought about the high-level strategy of what kind of journey do we want to take somebody on. And it gets you thinking about that, which is a really good exercise, even if you're not automating. Because the only way you can hit that ideal journey is if you think about it carefully, if you strategize it, try to put something into play. So I think that's one of the interesting side effects of automating is you get into that mode and it kind of kicks off just recruiting best practice or staffing firm best practice to kind of think about the journeys, your internal process, the kind of the flow that's occurring throughout the various cycles that occur inside a recruitment business. So I think that's a really interesting benefit. Yeah, and I think I had this conversation a lot, right? Where we're talking about like, are you working in your business or on your business? And the truth is a lot of growing staffing companies, like growth mindset, not, not super large. I don't know what the revenue number is in my head, but like 
at a certain size of recruiters, the production is enough that the owners or like the founders can get out of the actual day-to-day and they can get into strategy or just trying to like figure out what that is. But if you have to automate your business, you start thinking about it a lot sooner, for sure. And I think I, we've all seen that. And again, it goes back to that conversation of like, if you had a Herefish or a data cleaning tool and you decided you found a better way to utilize statuses, you just go in and change them all. And like very quickly get to a new strategy and go to work. That might be a marketing, like let's just say, because marketing is going to be huge. Marketing should have been huge in 2020 for everyone. In 2021, I don't know if you saw it. By the way, this made me angry. I was angry emailing with a colleague who's a marketer. The Texer Alliance, and not they didn't do anything wrong, but there's a group of leaders who were talking about how important marketing was in 2020 and how it's such an enablement tool for sales. And in my head, I was like, how many of you fired or furloughed your marketing person in 2020? And yeah. I was just like, ah. Anyway, I got upset and I got over it, but I'm still clearly upset. Yeah, I think it's very clear for long-term success and stability, marketing has to be focused on and you have to execute that at a high level. And to your point, sadly, it's one of the first things that goes from a short-term mindset but you sabotage yourself in the grand scheme of things without that. Well, then it also ties into this conversation we had right before too. It's like, if you are a leader of an organization and part of your job is revenue and part of your job is strategy because you're the owner and you're supposed to be doing those things, when push comes to shove and time is, is a finite thing, you're going to go where the dollars are, which is short-term terrific and maybe great for revenue and profits for right now. But at the end of the day, if you don't, cut some time out and plan. I'm equating with the marketing person as the plan and the revenue as like the sales and recruiting and other places. But like that planning part has to have a portion of your attention almost every day. Well, I think we're probably pretty biased because we've seen marketing marketers. Well, we've seen marketing done right. And we've seen kind of what that leads to from an ROI perspective from an impact perspective, from an experience perspective. Travis Arnold had sold two companies because he's so good at marketing. Yeah. You know, that right is Travis. an understatement, right? Yeah. And there's there be so many cool elements that obviously we both learned from, from him and, and that. But it's like, I think marketing sometimes gets a bad rap for the bad marketers or kind of the bad marketing that gets out there where it's just kind of spammy and get me leads and but you're not really worried about the quality of it and the conversion rate, like just more volume and broadcast things out. And obviously, marketing done right is very different than that. And this kind of like, we don't need to talk about this, but this to highlight the point, like Google just released that they're going to get rid of their cookies in 2022. And both Billy and I just very quickly were like, well, that's going to make marketing better because only cream is going to rise. There's no cheating hacks with your Facebook pixels to help you, right? Yeah, it's going to be true content. Is it engaging? Are people enjoying it? You know, Are they doing something? Are they doing that call to action? Because you're making it compelling. So yeah, I'm... I'm looking forward to it, to be honest. Yeah, right. Like, I don't need Amazon to pick up the fact that I'm talking about going hiking and, and sending me hiking ads everywhere. Thank you. Thank you, Amazon. But anyway, awesome. So we got the unexpected consequences of strategy. The first one is data cleanliness. Is there any other places you see opportunity for people who don't think they're ready for automation? Yeah, I think there's always things, even when you don't think you're ready, there's always things that can be done. It's very rare that, for example, like placement data will be all over the place. Usually that is the place where data is the best because it's closest to the dollar. So especially on the contracting side, it's pretty important to know when people are starting, when people are finishing, who's actively on assignment. So even in places where data is not the best, oftentimes that's where to start. 
And those kind of close to the dollar activities are always going to generate the highest ROI, especially if they're those repeatable journeys, right? So hopefully you make lots of placements. So you improve the placement process. You get the benefit from that over, over, over again. And then there's so many other things, obviously, in the recruitment cycle that lend themselves to that candidate sourcing, reaching out to top candidates, client engagement, NPS score, satisfaction, like all those types of elements, right? They continue to provide value recurring. In my head, by the way, what, what I was just thinking about is, let's say you're not going to sign with a Hero Fisher Ascense in the next six months. You would probably benefit tremendously as a leadership team by just sitting down and saying, okay, guys, we're going to implement automation in two weeks. What do we need to do to get ready? And go through that exercise because it seems like automation drives strategy and you can't rely on the old crap that you were doing and whether that be process or the way you enter data in or you just neglect data and your CRM ATS in general. Like the fact that you're committed to upgrading and using, like AI is even worse. If you're not entering good data into an AI model, like a machine learning model, like you are in deep trouble. So it seems like there's a ton of value in just like putting yourself under the gun and being like, guess what? We're going to start automating. I think that's right. And I think to your point, it's that kind of self-awareness of where are we at now and just kind of understanding that and being real with it, I think is a really good benefit. What I see oftentimes for those that don't think they're ready is a lot of their data is siloed. So they don't have it coming to a single source or in bad cases, they have like five or six sources. So like, well, this part of the business lives in this database, this part lives in there. And then it's very fragmented. So I think almost that self-awareness audit that you were talking about would expose things like that and get you carefully thinking that probably is not the best idea to move forward your business. I agree. I had a side thought too. It's like, what happens if your recruiters have their own files and they're not entering all the data into the system? If you're living in all these different silos and God forbid these people still have their own spreadsheets like a Google Drive or Excel, like why they have that is probably because they don't, like the system itself is not providing value. Whereas if you wrap an engine over it, which is those automation tools, is an engine, right? Okay, if I enter my candidates in there, I know my engine is going to nurture them in my name every X amount of time. So yeah, I give up the idea of like, if I don't call them in three months or put a note in, I might lose ownership or, but like, I think if you could drive the value of the actual system and usage of the system, which is what automation does, which we both found, right? Like, like telling people things are going to happen if you just follow the prescribed way of using the system that somebody's paying for, it's pretty powerful. And like, if you're telling a salesperson, hey, we're doing this to help you make more money. I'm like, ooh, okay, like, let's go. What? what Speaking your language. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah, that's a fantastic point because automation, when done correctly, provides the incentive to do the things you were supposed to be doing already from a database perspective. But it clearly provides that incentive in, in terms that recruiters and consultants love and understand. Either A, makes them more money, which again, most people speak that language, and or B, it saves them time or makes their job easier. So you can do both those things. There isn't a recruiter I know who would object to both of those, right? For, for something that, that could help their day-to-day kind of recruiting life. You could sign me up already. I'm in. Let's go. He's converted. I sold the ultimate salesman. How about that? I love when Billy tries to sell me something. All right, cool. So we got three kind of three cool takeaways for people who aren't ready. Let's like create another list of three of the coolest things that you've seen, if you can share, automated and maybe like kind of time around ROI. So like people who are doing internal, external, like what's the best ROI you see from a creativity 
perspective that's not going to piss off a customer. Yeah, the funniest part is I've been asked this question three times today. So it's it seems like that's top of mind. It's clearly a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When people understand how much experience I have, it seems to be a place, a common place people go. I will put this caveat in that the bells and whistles of automation are really fantastic. They're really sexy and everyone kind of latches onto them. But do the core fundamentals first. That's where the ROI lives. That's where it's best to learn. But yeah, when you have those things in place, when you know what you're doing, you can do some really cool, impactful things. So I'll give one example, which I think is a really kind of like full end-to-end, really smart use of automation and kind of throughout kind of recruitment system. Obviously, recruitment websites, it's often the goal of a company to drive traffic there, to drive visibility, right? And then when you get traffic there, you want them to do something, either download a white paper, view your job board, apply, update the registration details, those types of things. So Herefish's survey functionality allows you to kind of ask questions, gather information, but it does so over, pops up over the website of the company. So when someone completes the survey, they land on a designated landing page that you can specify. So I've seen really interesting automations that target different segments of the database, whether it be candidates, clients, prospects, leads, those types of things, and land them on different strategic pages on the website. And you get the front-end benefit of them completing the survey or gathering some information. You get the back-end benefit of them going on the places you want to go. But then there's also another tertiary benefit where if they do something on that website page, that can trigger another kind of set of cascading automations. So when done correctly, you create this kind of feedback loop that you continually push visibility to your website. People interact with your website. They do things. You have other automations that then piggyback on top of that, which then circle around and boost more visibility to your website. So it creates this kind of snowball effect, which has tremendous outcomes in a variety of ways. Well, will the Google cookie thing, getting rid of that, change that eventually? No, I, it will change the how, how that's done slightly. But those that are doing it well, and again, you're kind of, the conversion points are the key part, like you know, getting someone to do something, that's where compelling copy comes in and that kind of thing, or, or targeting the right segment. That stuff is never going to go out of style. And the benefits of that will likely increase. Got it. It's just kind of worrying about the semantics and the, the tech behind it. I mean, that's super crazy. So number one, I've talked more than one time about today about how you create a website. And you got to stop going and telling a web designer that you want it to look like that and start talking to a technology expert and say, hey, I want it to do this. I want it to do these three to five things. One for candidates, one for prospects, one for your customers, maybe one for returning candidates. But like you kind of get some crossover with the, the, the candidates you're not working with. So, okay, you pick four things, two to convert, two to provide experience, right? This is, I'm just speaking hypotheticals. Your goals can be different. Then you design the website around those things. But like that came, that's come up a few times, right? Because people keep, and I think they're getting better than this because like the volcanics of the world and the staffing future of the world are going and being like, hey, we're going to build you a beautiful website, but that's not what the first thing we're going to talk about. And then once you get them, once you have that beautiful website that's going to do these specific things, how do you use, it goes back to data and marketing, right? Like how do you use this data and marketing savvy to, <laughs> I love it. Let's ask them one question. Hey, we're trying to understand this question, you know, understand the question a little bit more. Do you mind answering it? Okay, boom, popped a mobile phone or your desktop. If you're making a prospecting call to a customer, a prospective customer, and you're interrupting their day, if you get one question out of your mouth, the question has to make that person think. 
right? It has to stop them and make them go, I don't know how to answer that. Like it's vital to my business. I get that, but I don't know what the answer is. So if the page you land them on is going to disrupt or like disrupt their attention enough just to make them read it, now you're doing something. Now you're doing something marketing. Now you're getting sales enablement all tied into one, right? Because you, because you're basically the SDR at that point. You're using a survey to create an SDR attention moment, which is super. I'm geeking out. Sorry, let me. <laughs> you jump in. I'm like, enjoy it. No, that's that's good. And well, what you're speaking on is like an integrated experience, right? It's something that is following you through kind of each step of the process in a way that's smart and kind of guiding you along the path, and then responsively kind of adjusting based on what you're doing or, or not doing. So I think that from a journey perspective, I think is a high mark and you find a lot of success by executing that consistently. Yeah. Super interesting. Well, I just geeked out on, I, I, by the way, by the way, I think out loud a lot of the times guys. So I apologize. Well, Rob, this begs the question. I got to know now, what was your like stop and make C-suite level person think when you only have 10 seconds on a prospecting call? What was your uh, go-to? So it's a good question. So with Herefish, it got to the point where, number one, we weren't really prospecting. <laughs> it got to the point where if I knew the person, I could kind of tailor it to the persona and, and just kind of stop them. So like a VP of ops, it would be about, is your data integrity good enough for you to be acquired? It's a good one. Yeah. Right? Like the HubSpot data quality, when we got acquired, had to be up to a certain thing and we had to go back and like fix, not a lot, thankfully, but like we had to make sure it was good. If it's a CEO, right, it depends on what they're doing because CEOs are so different in staffing, right? Like, where are they in their stage, man? You're like, okay, you got a, you got a CEO who is not work, is working strategy. You're going to ask them a very different question than a CEO who's selling. To my to the example I gave you earlier, right? Depending on what size of the business is and where you're at. So, like, a CEO who's selling is, hey, you're the greatest salesman at this company. Are you using your CRM? And is your CRM <laughs> making you money? Because that's usually the case. Right? Yeah. A CEO who's grown, there's 250 recruiters plus, you know, maybe they're maybe they're running like a top five division of North America and they got a couple thousand recruiters. It's hey, how do you scale best practices and drive growth at your scale? Because the percentage of growth at that scale is different than the percentage of growth at like 30 recruiters, if you're using automation, right? Progressively it probably equates to more money at a lower number, but Again, it's a good. I mean, you're asking me a great question. That I'm super geeking out about it right now. No, I hope those salespeople at home are taking some notes because you're dropping some knowledge here. Well, and then you got to think like a CMO, right? CMOs, you immediately feel sorry for them because in the industry they get crapped on. <laughs> you really love it when you talk to like a really savvy CMO. And if I got to a savvy CMO, I would be like, "Hey, are you guys using a HubSpot or a Marketo or Parda?" And they already like, get it. They're already sold. If you're talking to a savvy one. Well, yeah, you just ask them those questions, and they're like, "Oh, that's what that's what Herefish and Sense were." Or are right, and like they got it, and you're like, okay, but yeah, I mean, it is a fascinating question. At Great Recruiters, I haven't really gone through a full. I've only been here a month. I've only I've really gone through the full process, right? Because it's dealing with different personas and, and where they are. Like, and this is something that I keep dropping on people in sales: is sales training is so important. And if you're a chess fan, you'll like this because learning different sales strategies, like hard close, soft close, pass it, like whatever is like chess, right? Like the SDR is the open game. But the open, right? Your open has to set you up for the middle game. The middle game is the demos, the pitching, the kind of the telling the stories about your success and trying to get, like you've already got past the attention phase of just getting them to give you time. Now you're on the phase of, hey, let me create value and tell you how we're going to deliver, right? Because that's, that's what a demo is. Show you how you're going to solution and show you how you're going to actually make it happen. Right. That's a great analogy. Yeah. I keep going. Yeah. The end game. And then you got to get to the end game. And the end game is part closing, 
right? But it's also delivering, right? Like it's not being a, it's not it's not being a crappy winner where you're just gloating. It's delivering <laughs> on the win and being a human, right? Or having someone like Billy come in or Melissa come in and and knock it out of the park from a customer success standpoint. David George at Great Recruiters is pretty amazing as well. I'm, I'm learning very quickly over here on this end. Oh, by the way, sorry. All of the people at Able were really good at their job. So let me let me not leave them out because they'll kill me. And so you get to the end game, and the end game is how do you close? And I think you have to like the way that it ties to sales training is if you're exposed and understand how to do all of these different things. Like, how do you stop someone to get 10 minutes on their calendar, right? Okay, how do you deliver on the solution? How do you solution sell? How do you gap sell? Whatever it is, all the different strategies that fall under those criteria, how do you implement them? How do you pivot? Because again, if you're playing a chess master or if you're just trying to sell something and they give you an objection, like it's a legit objection, okay, now you need to figure out what to do. Like, do you pivot to a different strategy? Do you pivot to a different solution? And then at the closing, like you got to have like the more tools, the more strategies you have in your games and the different parts of your games, the better off you are and the easier it is for you to pivot without creating a friction for the buyer, right? Because that's really what it is. It's like making the buying experience frictionless. And there, we just nerded out for like five minutes. No, it's okay. So it's, it's like adding more skills to your holster, right? So you know which one to pull out. But I think the biggest takeaway I heard from that though, is to know your audience, right? Because that's, you have to do your research to figure out who the person is. Do you have the right person? But then like your persona comment, I think is amazing. Like how to identify that to know that well, because then that's going to tell you what you need to pull out of your holster to make things happen. Well, yeah. And, and like your demos change, right? Like if you're demoing the CEO or you're demoing, if you're demoing CEOs to operations, like you're doing the whole dance and you got to try and trickle in data that affects everybody or like stories that affect everybody. If you're demoing the C-level, you're like, they don't care. They just want to know how to measure it and make money. Like, is this going to drive growth? Or is this going to fix the thing that I asked you to fix? And how do I know it's doing it? Right? Yeah. And folks, if you ever wondered why Rob Mann is a sales legend, you just heard not a, a sales legend. Pretty good exposition there's for the last no, five minutes about that. I would argue that there's some guys at Bullhorn that argue I'm not a sales legend, but I've become a student of the game since I parted ways with Bullhorn. So well, I've only known the legend in you, Rob. So I <laughs> well, said I I've known no different. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> well, man, anything else you want to add on automation? We've been chatting. Good ending point here. Yeah, I think we could chat forever about the stuff. I mean, it's so interesting, but we covered a lot. Hopefully we added some value for the listeners. And boy, it's exciting to know some people in the industry that are attacking it from a few different angles. It's great to bounce ideas off each other. And I do have to give one final shout out to Rob. He started me on my content creation journey, sparked the fire. He was bugging me. He said, you got to get some of that knowledge out of there. And the rest is history. You got to keep it going. But it's a fun journey. And you started it. We just had this conversation with the head of customer success over here at David George. And he's like, I don't know what to post. And I'm like, whatever your customers tell you, like anything that they found value in with great recruiters is your post. Like you don't have to think about content. You just need to write down what they say. Yeah. You just need to write down questions. You need to just think about what you're thinking about. Like I was at that point once and now I have like 500 ideas that just are waiting time for me to spell out. So it starts coming organically for sure. Billy, man, I appreciate it. Well, by the way, side note, if you are a new recruiter, go talk to your marketing people or your senior salesperson and don't ask them like how to sell Ask them what their candidates tell them. Like, ask them what they're hearing from candidates. Ask them what they're hearing from prospects if they're doing a 360 desk. But go and ask these people, like, this is the best advice. Go ask your marketing team, if there is one, what their personas are. 
and go ask your leading salespeople or the people with the most tenure what they're constantly hearing. And that will help you create those personas and understand how to talk to people. And I wish I knew that earlier. So there it is. Billy, thank you so much, man. You got it. After this short break, stay tuned for our next segment of Ask Lauren. CrimCheck protects staffing companies, customers, employees, assets, and brands by providing comprehensive, accurate, and compliant employment screening solutions. CrimCheck is PBSA accredited, an HRO Today Customer Satisfaction Award winner, a certified minority-owned business, and an Inc. 5000 company. CrimCheck's mobile-friendly solutions, award-winning service, and integrations with leading technology solutions such as ABLE, will improve your team's efficiency, enhance your candidate experience, and accelerate your time to hire. For additional information, visit crimcheck.net slash ABLE. What's up, Lauren? How you doing? I'm super fantastic. How are you? Super fly. I am equally as good, and I am ready for the weekend. We're recording this on Friday, April 2nd. This episode is going to air next week. So there you go. You're going to get some fresh YOE content. Awesome. Lauren, what do you have for the good listener today? Okay. So we've talked a couple times about change management, right? That is where I spend a ton of my working hours is helping businesses transform their business through really good change manage, you know, business change management behaviors and really good implementation and training behaviors. But there is this misnomer that you can do it well and it's a one-time thing like this. And I want to dispel that belief today because this is medication for life, right? This is what keeps your ticker going. Ongoing content to ensure adoption is a must have. You cannot, just like with the purchase of your tech stack, you can't put out one press release and the whole world knows you're better, faster, stronger. It is coats of paint. And so best practice, right? And don't be afraid to repeat yourself. This is the other thing. It's just like with social content, right? You're going to have different eyes on that content at different points in the day, at different points in time. And so repeating your training content, making it available, saying it over again, what you repeat, excellence is a habit. You've got to help them exercise that muscle. And if it's through repetition of content, that's okay. I recommend having a topic or what I call a stop and learn once a month in your business. If there's a metric or we've talked about if you're going to implement something, having those tangible ROI metrics and people know exactly what success looks like and how they obtain it. Well, you've got to come back to that every month and you have to have a consistent coat of paint for really good change management and really good adoption. And this is getting overlooked time and time again. Change doesn't happen overnight. And oftentimes you're undoing years of bad sort of business practice or inefficient business practice. And so it's going to take time. Remember, six weeks to make a habit, two weeks to break a habit. And if you're trying to do sort of compounding skills, it's going to take time. And that means 
A, you're going to repeat yourself. B, you have to do it regularly. And C, you want to make it interesting. And what I mean by interesting is remember, everybody is a different type of learner, whether visual or auditory or that kinesthetic learner, right? They need to touch it, feel it, see it. You want to have those different types of learning opportunities out there. So this is not a one and done activity, people. All right. I have lots of opinions here. Number one, I agree with you a thousand percent. I remember being at Weatherby and Weatherby doing consistent sales training ongoing. Like we did it every week. Sometimes we did twice a week. We didn't really talk about using the tool, but we did a lot of training. Got to Mint and again, talk about Michelle. Michelle had weekly trainings for us, 15 minutes. Like, especially we had a longer one if we bought new tech and they wanted us to use it. And then the next month when we had the next training or the next week, there would be a refresher and be like, hey, in case you missed, like here, go look at this. <laughs> By the way, you spent a lot of money on the tools. You should be talking about them externally and you should be telling people to use them internally. There's features and functions and then there's selling benefits, right? So when I talk about great recruiters or I talked about Herefish, I was trying to make you see the dream and make you curious. I wasn't trying to tell you, oh, you can send automated emails. No. Hey, if you create a cadence of automated emails, you're going to be able to nurture your database and that's going to result in additional engagement and placements. That's how you sell things internally as well. Why do you want automation? Oh, because you're going to be able to take advantage of it and make more money. So same thing with training, guys. It's got to be consistent, right? It's got to work just like you want your recruiters to work. Just be consistent. Yeah. And you know what? If they know how to use it really well and they know the purpose of using it and they know what success looks like, that becomes a really meaningful story to tell to your potential customers. And I think that's what we miss out on. And, and we talked in our fireside chat with Kelly from Parka about the storytelling. All of this training gives you such meaningful stories to be able to tell candidates and potential customers. Don't miss out on that opportunity because you think you're just going to do one jam, one sort of implementation training down their throat for 60 days and they're going to know how to use it. It is going to take time and it is going to take repetition. I love it. All right, Lauren, that was awesome. I appreciate you. Guys, change management is an ongoing and consistent thing. If you want to spend money on technology, like you should, right? You have to spend money to make money. Make sure that your team is being trained up on it and reminded and given best practices and those use cases and metrics for success, right? Very simple. Medication for life. Yeah. Also going to the gym, stretching, also medication for life. Correct. Very similar. Anyway, Lauren, thank you so much. Yep. Absolutely. Bye, guys. Bye.